What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Narwhals, episode 26. Good morning. We've got a lot of them. My name is Drew Wilson. Kieran Flanagan. And Brittany Myling is joining us. Welcome. What's up? Thank you for Thanks coming for on coming. the show. Yeah. Uh, let's get an intro. Who are you? <laughs> what are you doing? Um, I am a business reporter at the San Diego Business Journal. So I started there as a healthcare reporter, which covers like hospital systems and um, medical groups and things that was really hard for me to write about. So... <laughs> After a few months of doing that, I kind of started writing about biotech, and then in the last nine months, I started a new beat for covering startups in San Diego. So, nice. Yeah. How long have you been doing it? Um, altogether, two and a half years. Nice. Yeah. Is that a is that a fast time to transition like that to go from like healthcare to or hospitals to yeah tech yeah or is that normal? Like I, I honestly don't even know. Like do a it, lot of people do that? Not really. Once you kind of start a beat, you, yeah. get, you get kind of. Um, pigeonholed into that and, and throughout your whole career you're like you're that reporter the commercial real estate reporter so when I started as the healthcare reporter I didn't want to be healthcare forever so um, just started writing about things that interested me and over time I was able to create a new section of our paper that was just about startups so that kind of helped me become the startup reporter sweet yeah at San Diego Business Journal that's right yes and how did you so you said you were writing for or about hospitals right and medical stuff yeah and how was that like super different from biotech? Like I assume you're focusing then on only medical care facilities, not just biotech. Right. Well, at first healthcare was supposed to kind of cover both. And um, I honestly could never find stories uh, about <laughs> the hospitals and the, you know, it was also. How would you find stories? Like, I mean, what do you call tough. up the hospitals and be like, Hey, you guys got something going yeah, on? Yeah. They don't like, they don't <laughs> put out press releases. There's not a whole lot of timely news right. about hospital systems. So I found myself writing a whole lot more about biotech companies. Well, how okay? How often did you have to write? Uh, oh, so we write three stories for print per week, and then we write two uh, stories for the internet every day. So you would have to find five stories a week on hospitals. She said two every day. Two, two. We call them briefs. Two briefs every day, oh, and every then day. three full print three stories a week. a week. Yeah. Wow. So it was it was always tough to find stuff to write about, and so I I kind of would just start. Pursuing other areas. Would it be easier now? So-and-so had a kid today. <laughs> you won't believe how many babies. Oh, that's the other hard part is this, we're a business journal, so it had to be like the, the mm. business of hospital systems, right. mm. which is even drier. So it was, uh, it was a tough. Yeah. Good heavens. I couldn't imagine like having to write that much. I know. Why don't they just like say like, oh, now we're only going to do like hospitals like once a month or something. Like right. That. Well, that's what we've done now, kind oh. of. We actually brought in a new reporter recently, and, and we gave him the healthcare beat because he had been a healthcare reporter for like a really long time. He likes that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And he's good at it, and he has mm-hmm. more experience in that um, field. So I don't even have like personal experience. Like with I've never been to a hospital. <laughs> yeah, I've never been born. to <laughs> And even then. Yeah. So, hey, uh, is that what you got out of So you, I assume you went to school for this or no? For journalism? Yeah. I did, yeah. I went to school in Missouri for journalism, and it was print journalism when I started, and then because you can do print or broadcast. And after about a year in, they, they redid the program to print and online journalism, mm. which is a whole lot more like multimedia stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then I kind of specialized in business reporting. Yeah, because it's really hard getting a job in newspapers. So they're like, if you want to get a job, you got to do business news. Gotcha. Yeah. Multimedia. Do you, do you hate that word? I don't know what that word means. I mean, come on. There's one media. It's just the internet. <laughs> they call multimedia. The media. So, okay. So you went to school and you're like, okay, I'm going to get into business journalism. Right. And then did you move out to San Diego right away or did you get a job somewhere else first? Yeah. So, I mean, normally 
when I'm telling the story for it to be more cohesive. I'm like, yeah, I graduated. Then I came into California. The truth is that after I graduated, I was a paralegal for a couple of years. Mm. And then I worked for a judge as a, a judge's clerk in a, a criminal department of a courthouse. Mm. Is um, that crazy? Yeah. I, I minored in political science and I was always interested in the judicial system. And for a while there, like a brief moment, I thought maybe I'll go on to law school. Um, but after doing that for a couple of years, I was certain that I wanted to do journalism. Was the court system really uh, crazy, like being in there? Because like, you were in the criminal stuff, right? Was yeah. it crazy or was it just super dry? No, it was, there was, um, so part of my job was having to read, uh, put like police records. And so anytime that something crazy happened, I had the officer's like firsthand account of it. It's stuff that's not normally released to the public. You had to read it yeah. out loud? Or just <laughs> like in front of people. <laughs> no, I'd have to, I'd have to like read it because I was always recording a judge. Like if a judge was giving you oh. a sentence, I'd have to be the one that like carries out your probation orders and mm. things like that. Mm. Um, so it was actually really fascinating and changed my whole view of, of criminals. Actually. I, I, uh, I used to just think all criminals are bad. I, I kind of don't feel that way. anymore. Right. Yeah. What, yeah. so what, why you said that you were like, especially when they got it, get brought in for smoking weed or something. Like yeah, that. yeah. Yeah. You start to understand that there's a whole lot of levels of, yeah. So you said after a little while you were pretty, you were made sure that you wanted to be in journalism. Like why, right. if it's fat, if it was fascinating, like why did, where did that happen? Were you doing yeah. it on the side that you decided actually this should be what I'm doing or how, how did you make the transition? Well, I think, um, I think I had always wanted to do journalism. That was like my number one. But everyone told me, including like the dean of our department and my advisors, they were like, journalism is dying. You got to really consider if you want to go into a dying field. So I was trying to be responsible and I thought maybe I'll do law school instead. But I think being in a court system and and working with a lot of attorneys, I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And so I decided just to go ahead and take the risk and, and see if I could make journalism work. So the yeah. dean of the journalism school was saying journalism is dying. Yeah, they'd actually bring in guest speakers who were reporters for like you know two decades, and they'd come <laughs> in and be like, "Don't do it." Like, <laughs> no, like smoking a cigar, like <laughs> yeah. shaking. Exactly. Don't, Don't do, do this. But do they mean journalism like as a whole, or do they mean print journalism? I yeah, they, they, like, are they referring to multimedia? These days, journalism is like journalism people being whole. like people being like uh, he sang a song and then this happened. And like that's like what it's all becoming. Even like what does that CNN even mean? or well, I'm trying to say those those stupid little cliffhanger. Oh, the clickbait. Oh, okay. oh yeah, titles. Yeah. I did not know what you're. That, that's Sorry, what you're that getting. Was really, <laughs> that, it was in my head. <laughs> you never <laughs> guess what happened next. That's yeah, like, that's yeah, the thing yeah. I'm talking about. And you're like top ten. Why are whatever, they doing whatever. this? Like on NBC and and even like the main headlines, like. You know, Trump does this, Trump does that. It's like all those kind of clickbaity headlines like making its way into there. Yeah. Is that what they mean? Journalism's dead? Do they mean or Yeah, it's like what do you have to do to survive? And you compromise mm. all the things that you're you're taught in school, the things that you really care about if you want to be a journalist. Right. You realize that a lot of that's being sacrificed in order to survive. So that's that's hard. It's becoming like entertainment. Yeah, exactly. It is. And you know, I love storytelling, so part of me is okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um as long as I'm still working for like a real news organization. Yeah. That's, that's important. No fake news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting time to be uh, in journalism, right? Like there's, there's this like war against journalism in a lot of ways on a day to day basis. And then you've got the, the certain publications that are kind of planting a stake in the ground and saying like, that's not what this is. And, and not being allowed into and the White House. And not being allowed, yeah. And their, yeah. their subscriptions are like through the roof Exactly. This year. I was like, going to say it's actually a good thing. Yeah. Um, especially because people kind of our age have never really built a relationship with news organizations right. in the traditional sense. 
So I think now our generation is realizing the importance of having like a, a good news media and yeah. supporting that. So I've seen a lot of my own friends starting to subscribe to things they didn't used to pay for. Yeah. So I think that's actually been you know a good thing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Hmm. I imagine right now would be a wild time to be, uh, I don't know what the term is, a political journalist? Yeah. Is that the term? I used to want to do that. That's why I oh, minored really? in political science. Yeah. Oh, okay. So glad what, I did not. If I, yeah, what, what still deterred time. you? What deterred me? Yeah. Honestly, just availability. You, mm. you graduate college and there's not a whole lot of jobs writing about government. Politics. Now there is. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> now, like, no matter what kind of reporter you are, you're kind of writing yeah. about politics. I do it every day. <laughs> <laughs> On Twitter. Yeah. It's a lot of retweeting. Sweet. Okay. So, okay. So then you eventually made your way after being paralegal down to San Diego. And yeah. what made you choose San Diego? Was it just a job was available or was it like, yo, I want no. to go to San Diego? So, you know, that same Dean was like, Brittany, you got to move out of Missouri if you want it to work uh, as a reporter. This guy sounds great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> woman. <laughs> she, woman sounds great. Don't be here and don't do this. Yeah. Yeah. She was, a, she was kind of the, the rough kind of tell you the truth. Yeah. Dean. Um, but so she told me to, she actually recommended that I move to New York city, like mm. all reporters do. And so, um, that was the plan. I took several trips out there and on my last trip to go get an apartment, um, it was in the middle of November and my, the apartment I was staying at was like really far edge of Brooklyn and I was on the train a lot and I was just like, not sure this is the life for me, you know, coming from Missouri where like rents are super low, you can have a three bedroom house for nothing and you're like it's cold and dirty and smells like garbage i just remember like the smell after being on the subway i smelled like so it's like the end end of the day and i remembered going on vacation to san diego i was here for one day after Mm. like a whirlwind road trip that's all it took and i was like i'll move back there yeah that's awesome (laughs) so it was it was a bit of a risk looking back Mm -hmm. i moved uh without a job and uh, so that was scary no way yeah yeah i did the same thing moved down here without a job Huh. And uh, lived on loaves of bread for a while. <laughs> Where did Ramen. you move from? Uh, Washington State. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. When I was 18, I think. Yeah. Couple, oh, wow. A couple years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was like last year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 19 years it, old. <laughs> it, I remember coming here once in high school, too, for a soccer tournament in La Jolla. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time that I'd been here, or at least that I had remembered being here. And I was like, man, this is nice. And I was here for like, yeah, two or three days. Yeah. And it was still enough that later in life after I was like, I should move. Like it was yeah. enough to be like San Diego was nice. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And when I was, weird. <laughs> when I was growing up, my dad was, uh, in the comic world. You guys familiar with comic books? Oh yes, um, I know this. Yeah. So, uh, he had the, he had earth's first mail order comic catalog back in the early nineties, like 1990, 89. And, um, and so we would mail out these catalogs and he would have tons of books. He was a dealer. So you'd get tons of books and he'd buy and we sell them. Right all the old stuff. And so he would go to Comic-Con every year. Mm. And, but this is back before there was any of the entertainment stuff at Comic-Con. It was just dudes with comics. Like that's all it was. And uh, so we would go down there though. And it was always like a super cool thing. If you got to go with dad down to Comic-Con and I remember it's been here this long or that mm-hmm. long. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. The oldest one is the New York Comic-Con and that's been there since the sixties. Yeah. I didn't know that. No, San Diego's been there since the 70s. Um, but uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So we, one time when I was 14, I think, we came down and my dad had a, 
he bought a trailer to put all his comics in, but it was also one he could like sleep in, like a small trailer for the back of the truck, and he threw the kids, he threw his kids back there for the trip from Washington <laughs> down to San Diego, nice. so, which is no no way would be allowed these days. But what's in? We were, yeah, I know. So we would like sleep in the bed while we're just, like going down the road or like hills and everything, using comics as blankets. Yeah, like, and uh, and I remember we pulled off and we got out. I remember this. I don't. I'm sure we pulled off more than this, but obviously, but. This is the one time I remember we pull off and we look out over the ocean. I'm like, this is amazing. It was warm. And it was right in Camp Pendleton mm-hmm. on the five, on that little uh, yeah, viewpoint exactly in Camp about. Pendleton. Mm-hmm. And we had pulled off there. And I remember like super vividly um, just like everything about it. I was like, wow, this is so amazing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you get to Comic-Con, you do the whole experience and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it was, I think when I was, when I was 17, 18, I knew I wanted to move down there. Yeah. And, um, and so the Oceanside having to be the cheapest place other than, you know, L.A. I didn't want to live in L.A. Mm-hmm. And Oceanside was the cheapest place. That's why I moved to Oceanside. Nice. But, yeah. It certainly makes it, it makes an impression on you, I think, especially when you come from a part of the, the country that has terrible weather, or, mm. you know. So. Yeah, you or, or just any weather. Yeah. You guys are in Hurricane Alley? Yeah, yeah, that's actually one of the main reasons I wanted to move. We, were, mm. we had a couple of really bad tornado years mm. in a row, and you get to a point where you're like, I don't like, there are, there are other places that yes. I could be living. Yes. So, yeah. That's why people talk about um, earthquakes on the West coast. I'm like once every 100 hey, the big ones come. years, once every 100 years, if you live on the East coast, every single year, there's a tropical storm it may not be super severe, but every single year you got to batten down the hatches. Right. Or in the Midwest. Yeah, tornadoes. tornadoes. <laughs> right. And they come with no Gnarly. warning. And, it, and yeah. you know, have you ever heard of the, the Joplin tornado? Mm-mm. Did you hear about that? Mm-mm. It like flattened an entire town. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Town of Joplin, I see. Town of Joplin, yeah. And my hometown is like 20 minutes away Ooh, from there. Whoa. So like when that was happening, I could see things just like floating through the air. It honestly looks like zero gravity, just stuff just floats. Creepy. Yeah, There's no way you crazy. ever get used to that. No, yeah. We, when we were on our RV trip, there was a tornado coming to OKC, Oklahoma City. And that's where we were, visiting some relatives. And so we're like, let's blitz. And so we left and got out of the way. And the tornado was like going up towards, I guess up towards Missouri. And so we went out, we flanked it, and we went all the way out to Dodge City, Kansas, all the way out west, and then followed it kind of back eastward so that we were always behind it and not near it because we figured there's one tornado that's going to be a while before another one comes. Oh, my God. Which I think is always the case. I don't know. There's no, no way that's the case. No. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that was dumb on our part. But <laughs> I figured as long as we're behind this one, there's nothing going to come. There's already one shark here. There's no way another one would come. <laughs> but, so then we, had, we, went, we hit the Midwest after that one went through. Uh, I, I don't think it did too much damage. So it wasn't like a massive one or anything. But Yeah. Uh. It's actually, it's low probability that it's going to be something that's super destructive. But if the, the risk is so high, it's like, why even yeah. live there? Yeah. And, and what's wild is like in Oklahoma City, there's a, a city right below it. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but it got flattened. Like, it's got flattened three times. And oh, I know what you're talking about. I can't remember yeah, the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like cheap to live there. Mm-hmm. Oh, jeez. And there's always new homes being built. Mm-hmm. And so, like, some so people I know, like, yeah, we're going to go move down there. And we're like, wait, what? Why are you going to move down there? It literally, this year, just got destroyed. And like, oh, well, you know, it's cheap. I'm like, what on earth? Like, cheap? What the heck does cheap have to do anything? Like, you could die. I heard that the government's, like, paying people to move to no, certain what? cities. Oh, maybe they have, like, some tax incentives or something crazy like that. Yeah, huh? I don't know. I can't remember. Wild. 
Well, anyway, anyway. <laughs> anyway well, we don't have that kind of weather here. No, Healthcare. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Biotech. So, and then how did that go to startups? I mean, I can, I can see being oh. in San Diego, how biotech would go to startups. Uh, yeah, exactly. But it's still an interesting transition. I think that it actually started when I, I wrote a story about the, the trend of co-working spaces. Mm-hmm. This was like two years ago. And then they went from having like maybe 10 co-working spaces in San Diego to having like 40. Yeah. So I was writing about that and it was just kind of one off story. And I got around to tour a bunch of these and I was like, wow, there's like a lot of stuff going on at some of these spaces. And, uh, you know, when you do one story and you get out talking to people, it leads to other stories. And with time, I felt like um, our technology reporter, his name is Brad Graves. He's been covering tech for like two decades and he has so much uh, background and experience. And he focuses mainly on these big public companies in town and then like military and defense. So he just doesn't have the bandwidth to always be looking at the startup community. Sure. So I actually pitched my, my editors that we uh, hire a new reporter to be the startup reporter. Um, and then one thing led to another and they're like, actually you do that and we'll create a section of the paper where you put all your stories and we'll see if there's enough news to and, fill it. And you just like jumped on that. Yeah. Right. So I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, with time I kind of started doing a lot more startup news than healthcare news. And soon they did bring another reporter, but they gave him healthcare. Sweet. Were startups ever on your radar before? No, not at all. That I, it's a new world to me, honestly. Mm. And neither was biotech. When I moved here, I had to Google what biotech was. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. When I, when I first heard the word fintech, and I had already been doing e-commerce systems, when I heard fintech, I was like, oh, does that mean like the, the tech scene in Finland? Uh. <laughs> I, that's what I honestly thought. And then I looked at it, oh, financial tech. Got it. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I do. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of little buzzwordy stuff. Yeah. Um, okay, so when you're in bio, biotech, what are some of like the craziest stuff you saw? Um, gosh, I don't know if I could say crazy. I think one of the more fun stories I wrote was this local company called Samumed. Um, and I had been writing about biotech for like two years, and I'd never heard of these people, uh, which was surprising to me because they, they actually have a huge space. Uh, so I think it was Sorrento Valley where they were. And I found out that they're working on like a, a series of drugs that would basically be like age reversal stuff. Mm. So like when a huge problem is the cartilage degenerates in your knees, you know? So they're like regrowing cartilage and it's I, like inside you. Yeah. Like in, in the knee. And so they're doing a lot of things that would be worth tons, tons of money if it works out right now, they're still like in mid stage clinical trials. And when I talked to the, the CEO of this company, he told me that they had a, a $12 billion valuation for a private company. It's just, it's wild. They have yeah. no revenue. They have no assets. And so I was like the startup world. Yeah. <laughs> I wish it, at first I, I thought this, this cannot be true. This, he's just, you know, making this up. But the more that I dug in and, and learned about the space and talked to his investors, he's likely onto something. And, and, and if they are, then, then that will be something huge for San Diego. So yeah. Wow. That that's a good, awesome. A good so story. that's like the only thing they're focusing on is cartilage regrowth. No, they're doing like hair regrowth mm. uh, too, which apparently is, that's going to be big in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> so, and they're doing a number of other things, but I, I do stories every week and I have a, a week long memory. So I, I can't remember a whole <laughs> yeah. lot. Yeah. Understood. Understood. I know how you, I'm going to ask a side question because I know this is right. We've talked about this a lot. If you could live forever because of this company and other companies, would you? Oh my goodness. You know, I've actually thought about that a few times and I think I'm I think the whole time. Yes, I would. I think I might. Yes, yeah. I would. No way. You're a no? I'm a total no. 
I'm a total no. You're crazy. That sounds You're horrible. So old school, man. That sounds like, horrible. It sounds horrible because you imagine yourself as an old human being for a long time. No, even if I were this, even if I got today, forever. Dude, what if you could play Zelda? <laughs> <laughs> for, for forever? Like, for like a month straight and it's like, it's like. Do you have to sleep? Like which version though? The new one. Which is the wild. Um, uh, no, I would definitely live for it. And there's so many people working on it. I mean, even the founders of Google created Alphabet so that way they could have like a bunch of other little smaller companies. And one of them is Corning or I can't remember. What the heck is it called? I don't know. Anyway, it starts with a C and, uh, it's their company all dedicated to ending death. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, all chronic disease, well, a lot of chronic disease is just the result of just getting old, you know? So Mm -hmm. it, it makes sense that everyone's working on that, and we've already extended our lifespan quite a bit. Right. Then you open up a whole bunch of other problems. There are so many problems. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're having Is problems they- right now in the healthcare system because there's so many people who are elderly and need care, right. and they just they keep on living. <laughs> we have no nothing to do with them. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Is like, like Aubrey de Grey is somebody who's pushing really hard on like the uh, eternal life kind of stuff as well. Um, and he has his own company doing his own stuff, but he's super vocal. He's spoken at many Ted talks and all that kind of jazz. Um, and the, the thing is though, like that our bodies aren't like made to last very long and you'd have to like, they'd have to be like non-human right. cells. Right. In order to, awesome. yeah. So you'd ha- like, you got the teal. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So you, you basically like right now there are plenty of people walking around, um, with non-human hearts, non-human lungs, sure. non-human this, that, and the other thing. The only thing currently that we cannot reproduce is the stomach and the brain. Those are the only things too mm. complex for us to reproduce. Um, everything else they've been able to reproduce. Um, and that's what it would take. Like, you'd, you'd be a human. Like, you would have been a human, uh, but now you're this other thing, right? And so that could take literally any form like but what about what about like stem cell research like regeneration you could i mean it's like the earth though like think about this like elon musk he's big into like um uh, uh what's the word uh tra- terraforming mars so that way it's like right. earth nuking oh, mars okay. but if you had the technology to terraform another planet you have the technology to make this planet last longer Right, mm, the tech he's talking about is literally nuking Mars. No, no, he says that's the fastest way to do it. Right. That's the fastest way, but you'd have to wait so long for the fall off to clear out. Right, right. That's the that's the quickest way to heat up the atmosphere to to create a a thicker atmosphere. But there are other ways to do it. Um, but if you had the technology to do it the other way, other than nuking, yeah, and that's could, all. But that's also assuming that by the point we we've got so far off topic here. We'll go back. This is topic. <laughs> this is We're a topic. topic. We're on topic. If you have the the assumption there is that by the time you get to that point where you have the tech to be able to terraform Earth, that mm-hmm. Earth isn't already gone. Like that we haven't already gone be- beyond the the you know point yeah. of repair. Well, either way, then we wouldn't get to Mars, right? Well, if if that thing's already ready to go, then we just go. Yeah, but yeah. either way, we'd have to like get the technology done here in order to send it over there. Right. So. If if you could do that, right? If that if that's how they're going to do Earth, then I think the same thing like would apply to like to humans. Like our cells are like Mars; they're not like made to be that way. But if we just if we could build the tech to make them that way, then we could make this other stuff that we could just you know swap out for our bodies. I mean, I would prefer to have my human body, but I feel like that's like so far so far fetched. 
I don't know. If you start running in biotech circles, of course, everyone's like working on things that eventually fail. But all I hear is like while they're working on it, I'm like, wow, there's so many cool things happening. So yeah, and you don't have to you don't have to get a pill or something that makes you live forever right now. You just have to get something that extends your life 25 years, and then within that 25 years, something else will come out to extend it 25 years, 25, and then eventually you'll live forever. Somebody tweeted, they're like, millennials will probably be the first generation that won't have to die. And somebody <laughs> replied to it and was like, can't we have just one thing? <laughs> no, I think, I think similarly, I think like probably my kids or maybe my kids' kids, uh, my grandkids will be the generation that like, that's like readily available. I'm like hoping, I'm like, man, before I turn 50, I hope there's something out to extend it. Cause I feel like after you're 50, not that you're like, like so far gone, you're going to die. But I feel like after 50 years, sales have already like degenerated for 20 years that maybe it's like too, too late. I don't know. All those guys like Ray Kurzweil and everything, they're like hoping that it'll happen to them. I'm like, man, you guys are already like 60 something. That's not going to happen. There's not just, there's a, you got to have reversal at that point. Yeah. Which there are people, there are people working on reversal stuff too, which is insane. Um, I don't know. It would be so wild because like, all the implicate all, all the implications like you're talking about like population food, food is who, water how like many kids do you get systems, to have you know like do only the rich get to live forever mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. totally it's gonna be yeah. pay to play but instead of play it's live yeah exactly yeah and then it'll seem like this thing like how dare they you know they get the pills and we don't but it's like it's already that way yeah yeah, yeah. i know it's crazy crazy okay so so then you moved on to startups and it's a little bit less earth changing. Yes? No? Uh well I get I guess the, the topics I'm writing about aren't as um yeah, earth shattering. But it's it's actually really exciting and, and maybe it's just because I'm I'm working with people who are kind of often of my own generation. And so I can just relate a lot more with the things that they're excited about, the things that they want to do. Um but at the same time, the difference between the biotech industry and the startup, you know, economy here is like maturity level. They, they've not been doing this very long, a lot of entrepreneurs. And so the interactions that I have with the startup community is, uh, it's almost like there's there's no line anymore between my personal life and my work life. So that's been interesting. The startup people just come right on into the personal life. So How do you mean? I mean, so like a lot of my regular sources, so I, have, I go to people often for help and, and for um, startup stories and stuff. And the more that I talk with them, the more that they are like friends. And then, of mm. course, all the startup events are in the evenings and on the weekends, which you don't see in biotech. So, like, my weekends are taken up with startup stuff and um, and my evenings are taken up with startup stuff. Now my husband goes with me to all these events and they're starting to be part of my friends. And so, yeah, there's there's it's hard to get away from the startup life uh, once you're in it. And you think that's more just the culture of what startups are, at least here? Or is that more of just because of the generational alignment? I think it's kind of both. Um, so a lot of people who are all in for their startup, they, they are, they never turn it off. They are working at all hours. Um, and so, and every conversation kind of leads that way, no no matter if it's after work hours or not. So I think, yeah, it's cultural. It's also generational. Hmm. And have you come across any startups that are like, you said there's like a difference in maturity. Um, have you come across many startups that are like later stage where like, um, at least the founders are like later stage? they've done it before many times that kind of thing or I come like across in San Diego a, a few a but few. but they are the minority for sure no way okay. yeah um there's a lot of of new 
uh, tech companies in town. Mm, right. So in biotech, you know, the, the entrepreneurs have been doing this for a really long time. They've had many other ventures. And, and if they're in leadership, they've done that a long time as well. Right. So I found that talking to um, startup CEOs, often they um, do they do a lot of things that would that biotech people would know not to do when you're mm. talking to the media. So I'm actually doing a panel, hoping to do a panel at Startup Week for startups. Like, how do you talk to the media? Mm. Um, because there seems to be, like, they don't hire PR groups. They don't often have an in-house PR either helping right. them. So they're just like, they assume that you can just tell the media anything, <laughs> which, mm. which is actually kind of nice for me, uh, but it's also not so great for them. <laughs> yeah. As the media, it's yeah. good. Yeah. Well, it's good that you're helping them in that way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You shouldn't have told me that. I'm printing it, but you shouldn't have told me that. <laughs> um, so uh, what are some of like the more interesting startups that you've seen in San Diego? Uh, because it's like, it's a new field here. I mean, I know it's not new, but in terms of like picking up traction, like having a lot of new companies come out of this city, like that's on the newer side. Right. It's hard to say because there's there's startups that interest me for for certain reasons, um, mm-hmm. but it may not interest everyone. So, for example, I, I talked to a, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of startups, and I, I counted it up the other day, like trying to get averages, like hund- hundreds of people per year. And so when someone stands out, it, they make an impression on me. So recently I, I met and did a story on um, industry. Are you familiar with that company? Mm-hmm. No? So they're working out of Downtown Works, um, which is kind of a little Italy area. Yeah. And the they're now at like twenty some people, twenty three people that they employ, and they got they just got started I think in twenty fourteen, but they are um, a platform kind of like LinkedIn, but for the um, the restaurant industry and bars and stuff, mm. chefs and sous chefs and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I found it really interesting because the problem they're trying to solve. I used to, to work in the food industry. I used to be a server and a bartender, so I can see that they're they're really actually solving a, a major problem. And there are tons of restaurants that need a service like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found their product interesting, but I was also just in, incredibly um, impressed with Cody Barbo, who's their CEO, because he is very young. And I'm used to talking to young and inexperienced founders, but uh, his attitude towards um, entrepreneurship was so refreshing. It's like he had been rejected so many times. And every single time he was like, what can I learn from this? And he fixed it and he went again and again. And, you know, he just raised, um, I think, two million dollars recently and um i've just i've been impressed with his perseverance and his attitude that's cool so yeah. they're like um chefs and sous chefs can connect together and like exchange oh so yeah or... i guess i didn't explain that all the way so so it's like a it's like a hiring platform mm. so the restaurant can find talent mm. on this got it but also you you create your profile as you know if i was a bartender i put my profile on there and then i can put like videos of what i'm doing um, I can do pictures. You do a whole lot more that's specific to, to that industry than gotcha. what you would do on LinkedIn. Hmm. And then you can build a network as well. There. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. I know you don't have a lot to compare to coming from, like this was your first venture into startup world, but yeah. like how, what's your general take on the startup world in greater San Diego? Um, so I think that there's, there's a lot of confusion about huh. it. So, there's a, lot, there's a lot of reports that come out that are like, wow, we're actually getting a lot of venture capital compared to some other cities. Sure. Um, but the vast majority of that money is going to biotech companies. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the software and, and kind of the traditional idea of a startup, the software industry here is still uh, very young. And so 
there's been a new group of leaders that's kind of come in in the past couple of years. They founded Startup San Diego, and they're kind of trying to connect all these disparate um, groups in San Diego. And so they're all tech people, and, and they're kind of creating a lot of noise around the software startup uh, hub. And uh, things are starting to really take off just recently. But I think that there's still a lot of history here that uh, is inhibiting us from like growing really fast mm-hmm. as a startup hub. So, you know, our, our main industries are life science and military. These are very conservative, yep. slow-moving industries. True. All of our money in San Diego comes from those industries yep. as well. So uh, I think that it's changing right now really rapidly, but um, I definitely wouldn't compare us to San Francisco or, or even, you know, Denver, Boulder area. Yeah, definitely not. Like, there's just, there's no, like, there's like one actual real seed fund um, but it's a small fund uh, for software startups. Uh, you talking analytics ventures? Uh, Seed San Diego. Oh, okay. And um, there isn't. They're the, like the only general fund, right? Right. And there's no, there's no like uh, Series A fund. There's no hundred million plus fund in San Diego, and so that means that even if you are able to somehow scratch together a million dollars down here for a seed round should be extraordinarily difficult because you're going to like maybe two people. Right. Um, then there's nothing for you afterwards. Right. And so until we have those two components fixed, uh, it's just going to remain how it is. And I'm obviously we're working towards that way and it takes time, but until those two things are in place, we can't really see like a huge booming software ecosystem down here. And there's no, there's never been any tech exits like straight up software tech exits in San Diego. Which means there's no, no rich big, no big wins. Yeah, yeah. There's been, that means there's no rich tech entrepreneurs who are living here that want to contribute, you know, with angel money back into the community. So there's not, there's a handful. What do you consider a big exit? Like like somebody who uh, who sells or IPOes like for, for hundred million dollars. Okay. Well, there was Nirvana Systems last year. I think it was last year. It was four hundred million dollar exit. And then I just met. That's that was sort of biotech, right? That was kind of healthcare. Am I thinking of the right one? That, thought it was software. But oh, maybe I'm thinking, maybe I'm thinking I was company. Startup, so. No, you might be right. Um, but yeah, that is kind of where we do best is anywhere that it's software and biotech kind of collide. Yeah, yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like there are a few, but I've, I'm curious of your opinion on this because a lot of people, it's like it's chicken or the egg thing. Like, is it that we don't have the money or is it that we don't have the companies? And that's what it's, it's definitely a catch 22. One of the, one of the problems with, um, with the whole, Okay, so right now there's, like I said, there's like one or two small seed funds, um, but that's not enough to sustain like a bunch of companies. They can do a few companies a year and that's it. Right. And then there's Tech Coast Angels, but they have pretty small check sizes and they they invest often, but not exclusively in San Diego or anything like that. Um, and there's no actual accelerators in San Diego. So there's nowhere for a company to come into San Diego and start their company here versus you know some other city, uh, and we we're never going to pull companies that have offices in Portland or even in Missouri or in San Francisco or New York. They're never going to like uproot and move to San Diego if there's no financial backing for them here. Mm-hmm. Like why would they come here? Um, but to, but we could start them here, right? But we just need- to her question though, like, do you think that the companies that are here are the right ones? Like, they do stand good chances of being successful. They just don't have the support to yeah. stay here. Okay, so the okay, so like Classy 
is probably one of the bigger software companies here. They raise their money in San Francisco. I raise my money in San Francisco. Yeah, but is that a detriment to the San Diego? Like if they still if they still go and have a major exit? Yeah, no, that they, they totally could. here they totally could, and that would be that would make things a lot better. Yeah, if they if they stay here, they're okay. So DoorDash started in San Diego, but they're in San Francisco because when they went and raised money, they raised a bunch of money, and the members on their board wanted them in San Francisco. Yeah, right. and that happens often. Too. Yeah. yeah. So and, that situation makes sense to me, to your point. But I feel like the other one, like the classy, where they raised a bunch of money elsewhere but stayed here and still yeah, are yeah. doing well. Totally. I feel like that I'm not sure if that's more is the indictment on the on the money being here or is the indictment on the not the right companies being or, here. Or staying here. Like the industry, the company I was telling you about, they got their money elsewhere and they came mm-hmm. back here with it. Yeah. I think companies that stay here are the pioneering ones, the ones yeah. that want to like stick it out and rough it out. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is a lot easier to go live up in San Francisco where you're fully supported on all aspects of your company up there. Down here, you're not. And so if you want to stick around down here, you're definitely a pioneer and you're definitely helping the community by doing that. And I think it's awesome. Um, but it's not for everybody and it's not easy. And not everyone can uh, move down here after they raise money somewhere else, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's It's tough to say which... Which is the problem? I think they're both both the problem. They both have to be solved independently of each other. Right. I'm curious. Uh, I watched the the podcast you guys did with Brandon. Yeah. And you mentioned that you were from the Boulder area. Yep. So I'm right. curious. How do you like? How do you compare the two areas? Um, when I moved, it was like six, maybe six or seven years ago already. Um, and like even then, like when I left, like Boulder, I graduated in from Boulder. And then kind of stayed in the area and was working at a bunch of, I was working at like a, uh, uh, an app shop, like a boutique app shop where we were just doing, uh, iOS apps. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd worked at like a, a front end web dev shop for a while, uh, been connected like tangentially through with tech stars and with, um, just a whole bunch of st- what was going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that, even then that place was, just, it was exploding. Like it was, I feel like. It did. I, I I've only been to San Francisco once, and that was for WWDC a couple of years ago. So like I I barely have a taste of what it feels like, but I would imagine it'd be similar. Like you walk into a uh, a coffee shop, and everybody in line in front of you, and everybody in line behind you is like ready to talk shop and like yeah. help each other and and uh, make connections and do whatever. And like I can only imagine. I know it's expanded into Denver significantly mm-hmm. since I've been gone, but um, that was kind of the a bigger culture shock when I came out, I, when I first moved out, I was still working remotely for the app shop, uh, in Boulder for a while. Um, when I came out, you know, obviously this place is awesome, but like the, the startup culture, like was not was a soul talk infantile. About yeah. It really, was like, really. it didn't, it didn't feel like it existed at all six years ago. Yeah. So um, it is pretty new. I've yeah. only been here for two years and I wasn't sure how new, how new this was. Oh, yeah. I mean, extraordinary. And, and I didn't know many more, I didn't know a whole lot of people. So maybe, you know, there were the few who were involved, but, I mean, it, it didn't, it felt like it didn't even exist. Mm. And then like, you know, a couple of years in, I would go to like the, when startup week started or whenever that was, mm-hmm. um, would go to the, would go to those things and be like, okay, there's something here, but there's like 40 people here and then go to like <laughs> meetups. And, and now like went to startup week last year it's and huge. it was insane. Yeah. It was insane. So it's like, it's definitely, um, burgeoning, but it's like, yep. And then there's, uh, there's two parts of San Diego that's down there and there's up here and, right. And I feel totally justified every time I do a shape meetup. I tell everyone at the beginning, like, hey, you guys here, you're pioneers because there's nothing else like this right now. 
And I feel totally justified saying that because it's a true statement. There's, it's, I've been here for, uh, since 2002, however long that is. Long time. 15 years, maybe. Um, if I can do my math correctly. And I've done, um, like meetups before, uh, but they were always like around web tech or, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, nothing general to startups because I wasn't at that point in my life at that time. Um, and even then it was like so hard to scrape people together. I mean, I tried to do a surf meetup for people in the creative world and like, like nobody That's shows so up. so broad. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> shows up. It's, it's, it's insane. Uh, and so there's like nothing going on yeah. here. And so right now it's literally ground zero, which is wild because I've been here, you've been here for a long time. Yeah. And I know there's other people that are here, but just nobody's like bothered to like set anything up. Well, you know, last time we talked, you said you, that you had just done launched shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we did that story on that. And since then, I think it's only been not even a month, a couple months maybe, I was talking to uh, a guy with TCA yesterday, and he says now now they're realizing stuff is going on in North County, and they're looking to set up a spot in North County. And then Neil Bloom is doing his uh, founder's drink up in North County. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you get those hmm. bigger players to suddenly be like, oh, wait a minute, we should be. Are you talking to Ashok? Huh? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, I mean, I've, I talk to Ashok often, but I don't remember him mention, mentioning that. Oh, okay. I think it was Neil. That was in the North County one. Okay. Why? Well, because Shoke's at TCA, so I was wondering if that's who. Oh, I'm sorry. The TCA it was as Mill Millard Chan that oh, does okay. the Startup Talk podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're making noise. A show, yeah. a show comes to all of them here. All the shape meetups. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's that's good because he knows a lot of people, so <laughs> getting the word out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the upcoming is number three. So I think when is we talked next week, I had done. Had I even done one? You were just launching it, I think. When we yeah, talked. I don't even think I did yeah. my first one. Yeah, it's coming up next coming on the 30th. Yeah. Oh, actually, I did a... Um, you're in the paper this week. Did I tell you that? <gasps> no, you didn't. <laughs> I decided to do a um, kind of like a... Almost like a list type story mm. of... Um, I call them founder therapy groups, but really they're just like where you're bouncing ideas off each other and um, this more general sessions. And there's not a whole lot of them, so I, I included uh, you guys along with two Sweet. others. Nice. Yeah. Sweet. Three. There's three. three. (laughs) All three of them. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, come to San Diego if you want to be a pioneer. (laughs) Cool. All right, well, that's all the time we got. Um, Thanks so much for coming on the show. Super fun chatting. Yeah, thank you. Um, And we will see you all next time. Peace.